Welcome back. We're on episode 59 of Spinal Tap Minute, the podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and Stonehenge wrong size the movie This is Spinal Tap, one magnificent minute at a time. I'm Heidi Bennett of HeidiBennett.com. And I'm Sean Jarman of 5MinutesOfMime.com. And returning today from Minute of Darkness and Cosmic Geppetto, our special guests, Brad and Ryan. Welcome back, gentlemen. How you doing? Glad to be back. Yeah, we're we're, we're glad to have you. And we're here for Minute 59, which is a continuation of the argument between Ian and the band over, over the Stonehenge situation that we just saw. So minute fifty nine starts with uh, David and Ian arguing over whether uh, whether this is Ian's fault or Nigel's. The scene ends with Ian questions Janine's role in the group, and in between, Derek suggests that the elves uh, maybe adjust their choreography to not stomp on Stonehenge. I just love that rearranging the deck t- deck chairs of the Titanic. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, ah, the little people weren't dancing right. It's like, yeah, that's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I got a kick out of it because in the previous minute, Derek had a really great opinion about mm-hmm. the size kind of mattering and how it should have been larger. And then not like, I don't know, 20 seconds later, <laughs> he's just, maybe if we just fix the cor- choreography, keep the door clear. It's like, no, you jackass. <laughs> Not even what you were talking about before. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he's one of those, you know, like, hey, we're just spitballing. We're, you know, no bad ideas, you know. We're just throwing a bunch of stuff out to see how we can solve this problem. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a couple things right off in the beginning. Uh, there's a line that David has, which is uh, he's saying to Ian, you're not as confused as him, are you? I mean, it. It's not your job to be as confused as Nigel is. And then so what I is it is it Nigel's job then to be confused? Is that what he's saying? And then the other thing about that is just Nigel's reaction of like very slowly I think he's figuring out like that's not that's not a compliment. He's like hey, No, that's not. <laughs> it, the you could see the wheels turning and he's yeah. starting starting to get it. Um, and yeah, no, it, it's definitely kind of like a, a light is slowly coming on <laughs> in, in his, in he his just head. Hears, yeah, he hears his name and he's like, hey, hey, wait a second. I'm in the band. Wait. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah this he, is another one of those times where you're starting to see the cracks in this formation. Things are not, this is a, another pivotal minute, I think, where stuff's starting to to unravel. Absolutely. And Nigel, and they all are sort of this, they're all sort of slow burn to anger and not really interested in being mad at each other. And you get the feeling that it's finally getting to them. And also, they were also oblivious to just the point of where their careers are. Mm-hmm. Uh, like they, they don't realize they're they're no longer the biggest band in the world, if they ever were as big as they thought they were. And I think this is definitely the point where they realize, like, oh, we're we're actually not that successful anymore. We we are now has-beens, and we're no longer the, you know, the the virile, sexy rock gods that we may or may not have been that long ago. And there's just going to 
now they're starting to strike out at each other. And plus, you also have Janine starting to to Yoko this whole situation. (laughs) Totally. Yeah, this has definitely been building all the little things, and and some not so little, but all the other things that have happened along the way up into the tour. And then this just sort of, the, the powder keg has been packed. And packed and packed, and then this this lights the match, and the explosion's coming. And we, I think we touched on this a little bit the previous minute, but I think we can we can delve deeper into it as the conversation on see on screen evolves. What do you think about you know what's going on with Ian? Why is he doing this? Why are we in that position again? He when he first saw the the prop, he recognized that. This is not what Nigel intended. You know, yes, the napkin said 18 inches, but he knows Stonehenge is a big thing. And the intention was to have this scenery be a big thing. And then he goes ahead, he puts it on stage, he surprises the band, and now they're, I think, predictably reacting negatively. You know, I thought about that. And the first question I asked myself was, this is hypothetical, do you think... Obviously, we don't know this because there's not a prequel. Was it always like this with the band when they were really successful? Like, do you think they were just faking it and they were just totally screwing everything up? Or like maybe they had more help or Ian was like, oh, God, the model's incorrect. Well, I'm going to do what I've always done and we're just going to put it on stage and see what happens because that's worked in the past. Or was he kind of intentionally trying to, you know, kind of like bring things apart for other reasons? Yeah, I was wondering that too. Is he trying to teach them a lesson where they're not listening to him, they never listen to him, it's like, okay, they don't realize how much I do, I'm just going to go exactly by the letter that they go by, and they're going to see what the situation is, and hoping that it turns around to them, giving sort of ceding their control of the situation more to him. That sort of makes a logical sense. I don't know if the performance gets that across, but Mm -hmm. that was the only thought I had. Yeah, yeah, that's I was kind of thinking along similar lines that it's a little bit of um it's a wonderful life. You know, only instead of, you know, instead of showing them what life was like what life would be like if they died, kind of like what would life be like without Ian? He's trying to give them a little taste of I'm not going to do the the usual things I do to cover up for you guys and I'm just going to follow your little literal directions uh, and then you can see what happens. And I wonder I wonder a little bit if so, I, I do think it's a little bit trying to you know maybe teach them a lesson, and I also wonder if he's looking for an excuse either to get fired or an excuse so he can quit. Maybe he wants to get off this this ship because I do think that they've had legitimate success. They've obviously they've never been you know, those Beatles, Rolling Stones, the Who. They've never been at the top level of rock and roll stardom. But I do think they've had legitimate success. Otherwise, they, they wouldn't still be around. And they've, they've moved around through different record companies. And I don't know if that's, you know, if that was they wanted to move or the record companies, you know, tried to get rid of them or, or whatever. But so they, they've had a almost 20 year career at this point as professional musicians. They've never had day jobs or real responsibilities. So they must have, you know, sold some tickets and sold some records along the way and and this even this this bit the Stonehenge bit is a resurrection of something they've done previously. So at some point, because there was a basis by which Nigel could do his sketch, so at some point they did have a an organization around them, 
And also, I think we've touched on this in previous minutes, that part of it is when you're more popular and you're bringing in more money for the record company, there's going to be more help and there's more people around to kind of cover up the issues. There'd be more hangers on. There'd be more of an entourage around them to protect them from themselves a little bit. And now that it's it's a bare bones organization, it's them, it's Moke, it's Ian, and that's kind of it. And they're they're not getting a ton of support from the record company anymore. That uh, yeah. There, there's um yeah. I- I think there's a really compelling story, and it's been told a couple times. It's sort of being told in uh, Spinal Tap, where somebody who was on the top of the world in the entertainment field, and then watching them sort of descend, not to you know getting kicked out of the profession almost, but the people who go from top of the world to just another performer, just another actor, just another musician. Uh, there was an Adam Carolla movie called Road Hard. It was about comedians who have the big mm-hmm. careers at one point and then they're going returning now to doing small clubs the sort of things that they did on the way up and now it's like oh we're back to just sort of driving from club to club and uh it's i think it's just a real interesting story and it's funny um bands go through this all the time you see the band uh gosh uh a month ago i live in york uh near york pennsylvania and the york campus of penn state just had a showing a an all acoustic show featuring scott stapp the leads for Creed. And yeah. he was, you know, and it's easy to laugh at Creed and all that, but you forget they were a huge, huge band for a while. They were selling out arena venues. And now there he is playing at places that, you know, seat five, 600 people when he was doing performances for 20,000 people. I just got a, an email notice from a theater outside of. Uh, Philadelphia, this really small place called the Sullivan Theater, a great place to see a show, but it's again a venue that holds 500 people. Uh, Marshall Crenshaw, mm-hmm. Matthew Sweet, um, Livingston Taylor, James Taylor's brother. These are the sort of performers that perform there. People who haven't had a big hit in a long time, and they announced that Red Hot Chili Peppers are going to be performing there. I was like, oh, that has to. <laughs> <laughs> interesting, very interesting. Well, yeah, because that's the that's like a. You know, a big arena, thirty, forty thousand seater type act at one point, and now playing little theaters. What was that? Um, God, what was that band? Was it Cinderella? They did the show in uh, Rhode Island, and it was they had like a light show behind them, but they were in this packed small <laughs> venue, and it was actually tragic where they had their fireworks and stuff going off behind them, and yeah. because it was too big a show for the place where they were at, it actually set the, the the venue on fire. And some people didn't make it. Uh, some, yeah, was that White Snake? Was, I think that was Great, great White, actually. Thank you. Or Great White. Yes, Great White. Uh, yeah, and it was because this was an act that was so used to the, their peak in the 80s, and they never scaled down to where they needed to be to, to, to be performing at a 300-person 300 300 room. And right. you could just almost imagine there was they were having this conversation. It's like, hey, should we tell the lead singer, whose name was Jack Russell, by the way, uh, <laughs> we are no longer playing at places where they should have fireworks going off behind them because they're on a six foot by eight foot stage instead of a huge <laughs> stage with backdrops and all all the accoutrements that you would have at the Philadelphia Core State Center. 
Yeah, no, that's a good, not quite an analogy, but whatever you call it, interesting comparison to where these guys are at right now. I think you're right. And and just to put in my two cents about Ian's thoughts, I think in the past when I watched this movie, I thought that Ian was kind of doing that something to akin to, you know, well, just, you know, if you guys had your shit together, you'd realize that you gave me the wrong thing. And I'm just doing what it is I, you know, y'all asked me to do exactly, you know, but I think the now that I've watched this minute by minute, I do believe that he's kind of done. And he's just looking to get fired. Because I never noticed before that there's several scenes where there's no Ian at all. Then he pops back in. And we see him at the restaurant with them while they're trying to figure this out and, you know, what what's the new look or the new thing that's going to give him a bit of a boost. And he's just, you know, he doesn't have much energy in that in that booth in the coffee shop. And he just takes the napkin, folds it and sticks it in his in his pants pocket. And I think mm-hmm. I think at that point, he's just kind of like, I'm done. I'm done. I really feel like he's ready to make this explosion happen so it can be his him getting fired or quitting because you know spoiler alert it's not going to be long before that (laughs) happens (laughs) but i don't think i would have recognized that and unless i hadn't been watching this one minute at a time yeah I i think and i've i've been a bit of an ian defender earlier for some of the other things he said but it's hard to it's hard to work around this, and I've I've struggled with with how to approach this minute. But I don't know how you you call this anything other than sabotage. And if you know, if we didn't have the earlier minute where we see his reaction when he first sees the prop, that you could say, well, maybe he doesn't know any better, or maybe he thought Nigel really meant eighteen inches. But no, he we know his reaction. He knows this is wrong. And he could have gone back to Nigel or the band and said, he could have shown them the prop and say, listen, this is what they made us off of your diagram. Is this what you want? You know, do you want me to put this on stage? And he didn't do that. He no first- longer has their best right. interest in mind when yeah. he makes that decision. So, or, or he should yeah. just send it back, you know, not even taking it to the band. He should just said, no, that's not what I want and send it back. But he, he, he wanted this situation to happen. And it's now just a matter of trying to figure out his motivations for it, him wanting it to happen. Yeah, yeah. no, that's, that's a good point. We talked a little bit about like, you know, the help that kind of maybe, you know, moved them along back in the day. And uh, I think it, now that we've kind of, you know, talked through it, I think he took advantage of the absence of the help and uh, then kind of set this up. I mean, it's, it's clearly intentional. So, yeah, there, go and, ahead, and to, to, Well, to what you were saying, Heidi, there is a deleted scene. I think I've mentioned once before, but there's a deleted scene where he's um, – we just see Ian on the phone and we get one side of the conversation. But it sounds like he's he's talking with uh, Sir Dennis and he's pitching, the, he's pitching him on another band. And then, and then the band, Spinal Tap, walks in. And he kind of hurriedly gets off the phone. It's kind of like he got caught talking to his mistress and his wife just walked in. And I, and I don't know. Well, I actually see him. You know, he's on tour with the band and, and the stuff he does. It doesn't seem like he'd be able to do that for, for more than one band at a time. So it seems like, at least from that deleted scene, that he's already thinking about leaving or thinking about moving on to, you know, to someone that's younger and has a higher upside. 
than uh, that Spinal Tap has at this stage in their career. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 So then, so moving ahead in the minute, so there's the back and forth between Ian and David, and then Janine starts to pipe in, and Ian takes exception. Which I kind of take exception at because, as as Heidi noted, there's uh, Mick has a friend who we aren't introduced to, but is there in the meeting. Certainly, we've seen Janine in these meetings. It's not unusual for the the partner or girlfriend or whatever to be around. But Ian takes exception. Like they can be in the meeting, but they can't they can't speak. They can't yeah. have an opinion. That's interesting, too, because that lady, I thought she was totally gone. But now that I look at this other minute, her little head is down she's there. She's totally still there. <laughs> yeah. So she's- I think because my little, um, my, my uh, what do you call it? The thing you use to hit play and pause was over <laughs> her, so I didn't see her. <laughs> yeah, you can actually kind of just see, well, she's got very big hair, very right. fluffy hair. So you can kind of see her. She's there. She's probably checking in on Mick, making sure he's still breathing. Yeah. Um. So it's not... <laughs> <laughs> an issue, you know, to have others, you know, other than the members of the band and Ian himself, there's that's not been right, an issue for them her, to be around. Her body language isn't like any of the other groupies, mm-hmm. you know, she's not just passively twirling in, you know, her fingers through David's hair or something. She's she's sitting there giving her opinion and kind of barking at him. And so, yeah, I mean, if I was Ian, I would be. I'd be thinking the same thing, you know, she's not because she's trying to participate in the conversation and insert herself. Well, and it's will. such a um, trope of the music business. They talk about it all the time where there's always, uh, after, you know, and I, I think I referred to it perhaps in the last minute is like she's she's doing her Yoko, the, the band having their yeah. success. And then all of a sudden there's the girlfriend or wives who come in and uh, throw their opinion around and throw their influence around and – I give them credit for Janine doesn't seem to be an idiot. And she actually seems to have a decent head on her shoulder, regardless of what other traits you have. But she's not um, a stereotype that happens in movies about bands and or TV shows where it's the really, really dumb girl who has all the opinions and is popping gum while she talks. She actually seems to be pretty at least had some thoughts about that. So that's a little bit of an interesting take on the character. Um, I, I know, I, I remember for years, they would always talk about with Ozzy Osbourne, when uh, Sharon first would start walk, coming to meetings with Ozzy and they just thought she was going to be the dumb groupie who was hanging out with Ozzy. And, but then Sharon mm-hmm. and has been proved over the years. She's actually the brains of the operation. Ozzy Osbourne is just sort of the, you know, famous guy who can barely talk any longer and Sharon is the one sort of moving that puppet along yeah and I think Janine does have the she does have at least David's best interest in mind it's just that her ideas are a little bit a little bit um well they're unique that's for sure they're, they're, <laughs> like, you they're know, creative they're creative ideas yeah I'll they're creative and like you know she's been paying attention but um she hasn't really been paying attention it's certainly a certainly a power oh, play yeah yeah but ian gives her gives her entree you know if if things were going well then there wouldn't be the opening for her to to critique so you know, so the this yes, she's yeah, she's she's doing that. She's inserting herself, and she's certainly you know trying to take a bigger role within the band. And maybe this is 
in in terms of going back to to Ian's reaction, maybe this is a change in that um, she's speaking up because even if we think back to the scene in the restaurant where David is presenting the the, the uh, zodiac concept, obviously those are sketches. That's an idea and something that's been worked up by Janine, but she doesn't do much. I, I'm trying to think if she does any talking during that scene. The the sketches are passed out, and it's really presented by David. He's doing all the talking as you know the proper member of the band. Even though it's I, we know and 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 you know the band knows there that the idea is coming from her, but he's presenting it. Whereas she's here, she's not working through David. She's speaking up a little on her own for sure. Her power is gaining strength. <laughs> So, well, one question that we like to ask our guests, and you gentlemen are our guests for today, is <laughs> if you have any real-life Spinal Tap moments that you can share with us and the gang. I, I have two, a short one and then a, a, a slightly longer one. First off, I actually have had a real-life, holy crap, I'm around the member of Spinal Tap moment. Uh Years ago, years ago, yeah, in the cool. uh, yeah. probably late 90s, I was in Washington, D.C. to uh, at a place I believe is called the Black Cat, a small venue to see the uh, excellent, excellent musician Lloyd Cole. And uh, we're standing in line, me and my two friends, and uh, we just we were talking. All of a sudden, we hear this really distinctive voice behind us, and I was like, it was Harry Shearer. And awesome. Wow. Here's wow. the great thing about Harry Shearer. When you see him – He's had so many great roles and so many distinctive roles. You don't think, oh, well, that's the guy from Spinal Tap. First off, he doesn't look like the guy from Spinal Tap because he's – and my first thing is like, hey, do you know that guy? It's like, yeah, I know that guy. He's like, what's the guy's name? I have no idea what his name is. And it was like he was in a – he was in a – he was in a, in a Truman Show. Yeah, he was great in Truman Show. And we all just started – and we all had a different movie, TV show – and then you realize how many great things he's been a part of, where you know he's mm-hmm. done so many voices for The Simpsons, uh, Spinal Tap, Truman Show, and then you know, uh, then also all the terrible things he's done, where he was in the voice of Carl Sagan in Stepmother is an Alien. He was in uh, <laughs> My Best Friend's Weddings, great movies and terrible movies, and it's so interesting and because of that because there's so many things you don't even know what to say to them so we're all just standing there like don't don't look at the guy from from oscar for god's sakes it was really a pretty great moment you know just like wow that's that's him it's like what do we do i don't have no idea let's just keep going to the concert (laughs) um so that was like a real life hey there's a member of spinal tap my experience like that is uh I, i used to do theater um, many moons ago, and I did a show called Blue Room, and uh, it was a really good show. It was in this small community theater in Baltimore, and it was theater in the round. And Blue Room, we sold out every night, uh, which was really rare. Anybody who's involved with community theater, you know, it's hard to get an audience in. The show had a bit of buzz because it was like the Baltimore premiere. It was the first time it had been by a non-professional theater. And it had been on Broadway with Nicole Kidman, when Nicole Kidman was one of the biggest stars on the planet. And what made it such a – and it actually was even like a Time Magazine cover piece on this play because it was Nicole Kidman, biggest one of the biggest stars in the world when she was still married to Tom Cruise, and she bared her rear end in the show. So it was just – you know, live and in person, there's Nicole Kidman's ass. And what they didn't talk about what – that'll sell some tickets. 
Well, <laughs> what they don't talk about is the show Blue Room was a, um, like had ten scenes where it would be two person scenes, and it was all about uh, sexual politics and uh, goofed up sexual relationships. So when they would always talk about, oh, the the woman in the scene, you know, Nicole Kidman in the scene, she bared her rear end. They didn't talk about the fact that the guy in the scene was totally buck naked. That was the scene I played. <laughs> so uh, there was – and I didn't tell a whole lot of people in my like circle of friends about it. Like only close, close friends were knew about this because I didn't need like you know Bob from the accounting department at work to come and see like you know my taint. And – but there was one night when some friends of mine came to the show and that was the night that – during the performance where, you know, I get out of bed, I'm not wearing any clothes, and the woman who I had my tryst with, she's running around. It's like, we got to go, we got to go, we got to leave. And it's like, okay, I guess I'll just put on my clothes. And the scene is I put my boxer and my T-shirt on, so I'm not doing the entire last 10 minutes naked. I lost my boxers on stage. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm like, where the, hell, where the hell my underwear go? And I realized, like, they went under the bed. So it's real hard. And it's theater in the round. So there's no way you can sort of, like, demurely turn away from the audience. It's like, I got to get under there. I got to somehow crouch down. I was like, uh, okay, how am I going to do this? And I'm, like, bending down. And uh, I reached down underneath it. And later, my friend who came to the show is like, yeah, Brad, that, that was taking too long. Hi. I felt like yelling to you while you were bent over. It's like, your colon's fine. Stand up. <laughs> so that was my oh spinal my god, tap oh my god i can't believe this happened on stage moment <laughs> that is a well, good one <laughs> brad, well, thank you brad for sharing that <laughs> yeah, brad what's the taint <laughs> that's the katie question i know what it takes Oh, good. good. I thought we were going to have a very special episode. (laughs) (laughs) The tainting. Well, is there anything specific to this minute or spinal tap in general that anybody wants to talk about before we wrap up this episode? Yeah, I I, I do have, I I have kind of a story. Oh, Uh, good, good. Yeah. Please share. So um, before I get into it, I, I, I gotta, we, we mentioned Harry Shearer's voice and like, I just gotta, I gotta give credit where credit is due. He has an amazing voice. I mean, mm-hmm. like, I think he's very underrated when it comes to like some of the, the big names that you would think of. I mean, like Tim Curry, Sean Connery, Christopher Walken, you got James Earl Jones and like, yeah, those big actors are like, you, you know, that's voice recognition. It's, it's crazy because Harry is great voice recognition, but I think a lot of the time people are like, God, I know, I know who that is, but like, I don't know who that is. Um, right. But it's definitely a voice that um, stays with with you and uh, you know I, I think it's uh um you know he's a performer he's an artist he's like a master of his own his art and uh mm-hmm. um it's definitely uh something he plays very well in i, I think he Agreed. runs into a problem why he doesn't get the recognition as a performer he has the great voice but then when you hear james earl jones and then you see james earl jones it's like okay that makes sense that is a guy who should have a big booming voice harry shearer has a great voice and he has a really cool deep you know, voice and is, it conveys a lot of power and then you see him and uh, especially now he's sort of a small guy with uh you know uh, some wild hair and he he's not the most he, he has a cool presence in a lot of ways where he, he's distinctive on screen but he's not somebody who has the same sort of magnetic power when you see him 
he kind of looks like a, a cartoon bit. character. I mean, like, yeah, it's he's definitely yeah. like when you see, you know, those names I rattled off, you're like, oh, whoa, that's an actor. I know that. But yeah, no, definitely. It doesn't really hold up to the voice. doesn't match very well. Gotcha. Yeah, I have uh, my husband has that certain kind of special foo where he can like recognize almost anybody's voice. It's really fun. Well, sometimes it's annoying, but most of the time it's fun. <laughs> you no, know, we're like um, watching something that's animated or, you know, a voiceover for a commercial or something like that. He can almost always recognize really quickly who, who the voice actor is. It's pretty fun. It's a good life skill. Yeah, no. Um, so I guess my story, and it's it's kind of crazy. It involves me doing karaoke for the first time. And nice. um, yeah, I was giving it some thought and it's like, it was real quick. Uh, I, I was in college and um, I just decided to go up and uh, I sang Blaze of Glory, uh, Bon Jovi. Nice. And um, I got free drinks for my friends and like everyone was just going nuts. And it was this really great uh, this really great experience. And uh, yeah, I had people f- follow up with me the next day when I was out and about campus. We were like, hey, it's a Bon Jovi guy. And I was like, wow, you know, then we give this another shot. So um, it had to have been a couple of months later. We were at the same bar and it was the same karaoke night, same number of people inside. And my friend was, re- he convinced me to do Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh my god. And I went up there and it was a disaster. Oh no. <laughs> it was awful. And like I got a boo and I got off stage and like I watched these minutes and I was David. I was David and my friend was like Ian and he was just like I was so mad. And then my other friend was like Janine but he was like super drunk and passed out but um <laughs> just chimed in every now and again like, that's a terrible idea uh, but anyway yeah i can definitely uh draw a parallel in a past experience you gotta relevant. know your limits with karaoke and that the, there's no reason to do sing queen unless you are an awesome awesome singer because you you can do really well with a with even a modest amount of talent and have a great time and everyone's going to be cheering you on but uh, if you you try to do Oh man, yeah, that's that's tough. Oh yeah, preaching <laughs> to the choir. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a great story. Yeah, I've I've had some not so great experiences with karaoke, and I sing, but I just I I have a I never seem to quite get comfortable on stage doing it to that track you know it's not yeah. quite something I'm familiar with, or maybe it's not in a key that I'm really comfortable with or something so i steer clear so i applaud you for even trying (laughs) (laughs) well thank you (sighs) well anything else before we wrap up our um episode episode 59 i'm good i'm good to go yeah that's all i got for 59 Awesome. Well, that's all I have, too. We've left, we're leaving the band in a bit of a precarious position. So we hope everybody, you know, comes back and joins us tomorrow and see, you know, helps us, helps us along through this time of (laughs) turmoil and tumultuousness. And uh, really appreciate Brad and Ryan for joining us for this minute. And you can find us as usual at spinaltapminute.com and, um, iTunes and I don't know. Oh no, what do you call it now? Not iTunes. Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts. Yeah. Apple <laughs> Podcasts. We're there and we're at Google Play and you know, wherever great podcasts are found, you should be able to find us there. 
Yeah, and we also were on the Facebook with the Spinal Tap Minute Groupies Lounge. So uh, swing on by there if you haven't already and join the conversation where uh, I check in, Heidi's there. We've got listeners that, uh, you know, just talk about all things Spinal Tap. And so, uh, Brad and Ryan, if folks want to hear more of your mellifious voices, where can they find uh, we you? Are, well, are the, the, the Mothership is the Cosmic Geppetto podcast. You can go to www.cosmicgeppetto.com. That is our weekly podcast where we talk about all things pop culture. We have a lot of fun with that. Um, and this, uh, if, but the Minute of Darkness podcast, where Ryan and I do our daily show about the uh, movie Army of Darkness, uh, go to minuteofdarkness.com. And uh, we are also at all the places you can find quality podcasts like this one. And I'd like to say, uh, I think we've had a really, uh, I, I hate speaking with Ryan, but I'm pretty sure I know that he agrees with me. I've had a really great time talking with you guys uh, yesterday and today. This has been a lot of fun. I am super oh, excited. You guys should yeah, see the we're glad we could get you guys in for some premium minutes and it was really fun to talk about him with yeah thanks a lot for 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 coming by yesterday and today and uh yeah a a couple of really good minutes that you guys uh been a joy to have well thank you so much for having us all right and thanks to all you folks out there in podcast land for listening so come on back tomorrow we'll wrap up the week but until next time, and so say all of us, tap into America. Tap, tap into, into America. America. <laughs> Very cool. Hi, Zeph. All right.